0: Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. I'm your host Jack Quantrill and today we are not going to be doing a free agency review. I'm sure you've heard 20 of them by now, all of your favourite NBA podcasters. So let's just let the dust settle on the off-season. We'll do a little bit of a preview before the season, say August, September, when we really know what these teams are going to look like. I want to talk about one of the young teams in the league that hasn't really got a lot of coverage over the off season so far. One of the teams that I think has a really bright future and is building in a different way to how we've seen young NBA teams and competing rosters build over the last few years. And that is the Detroit Pistons. Motor City fans could probably argue that they've had it worst over the last 15 years in the league. They're right up there with the Kings, the Hornets, the Pelicans. A really storied franchise with three championships to their name and real pedigree around the area in terms of basketball has had a really tough time of it in recent years. And if you look at their rebuild on the surface, you might think that those tough times are just going to keep on coming. There have been some questionable picks in the draft. Their roster seems to lack a bit of shooting and their star player, the player that the project is all built around, Cade Cunningham, had to sit out in his second season and that meant that they finished with the worst record in the league and to top it all off, they went from first in the draft odds all the way down to fifth. So they haven't got a lot of coverage because of that. They haven't made any big splashes in free agency. They were linked to... Cam Johnson as a veteran that could add shooting and sort of grow with this core. I think Cam is only 28 years old. He has those links to Monty Williams. So that is a guy that potentially could have made sense. But they've ended up using their cap space on... Joe Harris who they got a couple of seconds for taking him and his expiring 19 million dollars on he's a dead eye shooter but we don't know if his legs are still under him there's a little bit of a worry that after a couple of injuries he's not really the same player that we saw a few years ago knocking down 45 percent of his threes and being one of the best shooters in the league and they expended a couple of those seconds that they took back in the Joe Harris deal to bring in now veteran point guard uh, an expiring contract at around the nine million mark monte morris monte is a career 38 percent three-point shooter he's a really low turnover guy and he just knows the right spots he's going to get those young players the ball where they want it even if they are quite stacked for guards already but Big decisions that the Pistons made over this offseason came in the draft, where they took Elsa Thompson with the number five pick and also picked up Marcus Sasser, trading up from 31 to 25 to bring in the veteran Houston point guard. I say veteran, I mean veteran of the college system. But really, they set a massive precedent in the NBA by going out there and hiring Monty Williams on a record contract. Monty is taking his coaching talents to the state of Michigan for a whopping 78.5 million dollars over the course of a fully guaranteed six year deal. That is just insane. But what it shows is that the owners are committed to building a long term winning project there. They're going to give Monty time. They wouldn't have given him a six year contract otherwise. And I'm really interested to see how his coaching ethos really blends with the young talent that the Pistons have. So through this episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the young players that the Pistons have, why I think that their squad building approach is really unique, why I think it could potentially bear fruit in the next three to five years, and what my outlook is for the Pistons over the next couple of seasons. Because they're not going to surprise anyone this year, I think. The league is at an all-time high in terms of talent. Teams that are at the bottom of the league have stacked rosters, especially with the new CBA coming in and teams having to use 90% of the allotted salary cap by the time the season starts. So, there are teams with really good players that don't expect to be going anywhere this year. And I don't want you to think that just because the Pistons are probably going to be a lottery team once again, in fact, I'd be very surprised if they weren't a lottery team, that they don't have a bright future. But anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to break down their young players first. Let's get into it. I'm backing K Cunningham to have the season of his career so far. When October rolls around, he's going to be 22. It's going to be his third year in the NBA. And after playing just 12 games in the 22-23 season, I think we're due to see a leap from Cunningham. His shooting splits aren't necessarily the best. He's never shot it particularly well from three as of yet in his career, but he's a really good free throw shooter. In fact, for his career, he shot 84.4% from the line. He is such a creative passer, and he's not one of these guys that makes his decision before he goes into the pick and roll. Cade reads a defence and he'll either take the shot that's given to him or he's going to find the best pass. He's not a guy that decides, right, I'm driving to my right and I'm looking for that skip pass over to the left corner or I've got the defender on my back. I'm going to lob it up for my rolling centre, regardless of what the defence is doing. If you go back and you watch Cade, what you see is a guy that is processing the game at an incredibly high level. And while he doesn't have the burst of a Ja a Zion Williamson, a LeBron James, this is a guy that can create advantages for himself and his team. He's got fantastic size at the point guard position he's six foot seven he's got long arms he's got big hands and for his size he's got a brilliant handle and really bendy hips this is a guy that is ultra fluid while he's dribbling he's someone that can break his defender down in isolation or slither round coverages to get to his favoured spots and so far in his career his favoured spots have been from the mid-range Cade has been accused of not having that burst to get all the way to the rim or create full separation. But I don't really see that in the tape. What I see is a poorly spaced Detroit team where teams know that they can just stifle the paint and stop Cunningham from getting to the basket. Therefore, he's been forced to sort of adapt his game and really favour the mid-range approach. And he's not been bad at that thus far through his career. For his career... On nearly 200 mid-range attempts, he's hit 43%, which is just above league average. And if you're thinking Demar DeRozan, Chris Middleton, Brandon Ingram, they're sort of hitting at that 47 to 50% mark. Cade, going into his third year, still working on skill development, is perfectly capable of getting to that level and providing a really resolute offensive weapon that the Detroit Pistons can rely upon, particularly in clutch moments. And one of the other reasons why I think we're going to see a leap from Cade is because the team is simply set up better for him to thrive. So in his first season, where he played a total of 64 games, the centres that Cunningham was playing with were Isaiah Stewart, Luca Garza and Kelly Olynyk up until he was traded. What is the common theme with all of those guys? Well, it's that they've got zero roll gravity whatsoever. These are all players that either pop or a little bit floor bound and can't get up above the square and, you know, catch lobs and throw down anything within a couple of feet radius and dunk it into oblivion. What's different on this Pistons roster that Cunningham is going to come back to is he's got arguably three rim rollers that he can turn to. So for all the minutes that Cunningham is on the court, he's going to be paired with a lob threat that is the kind of guy that we've said unlocks James Harden, Luka Doncic. And I think it's going to be the same for Cade because like we said, he's not got that insane athletic pop, but having that lob to always leverage or someone that really has real rim gravity, I think it's going to open up the game for Cunningham. It's going to allow him to get closer to the basket. And I think we're going to see his shooting splits improve because... There's more offensive threats on the Pistons team than there was when he had his first season in the NBA. I'm not really reading into that second season. He played 12 games. He had a couple of really good performances before he suffered that really bad injury. And I think that it's just a fresh start for him in the third season. But his second option in his debut season was Jeremy Grant. He had the likes of Sadiq Bay and Kelly O'Linick backing him up with Isaiah Stewart getting some touches as well. Cade frequently shared the court with Killian Hayes. What I'm trying to say is, who are you worried about guarding aside from Cade Cunningham? Jeremy Grant can get his own. He's quite a flexible scorer. He's a guy that can do it on and off ball, but he's hardly playmaking for anyone, so he's not going to create advantages for Cade. So this is a player that came into the league and couldn't exactly ease in. He was immediately the number one option, and really it was a baptism of fire for Cunningham. But I'm going to move on to the Pistons' second best offensive threat, and I think their second best young prospect in Jaden Ivey. So, the Purdue alumni and number five overall pick in the 2022 draft really developed his game. In Cade's absence, and I think that he's going to be a really good backup partner for Cunningham going forward for this Pistons team because his game has really developed from what we originally thought he was going to be coming into the draft. So, the comparisons that Jaden Ivey earned through his time in college were to one of his hometown friends, Jar Morant. So, people expected. Jaden to be uncontainable off the dribble with an elite first step, able to get to the rim and finish at a really high standard. But that wasn't the case in his first season. Like we've discussed, Detroit isn't the best space team without the threat of Cage there to create opportunities through his gravity. Jaden was having to do a lot on his own and I think that's really going to help him for his long-term development because what we saw was a real development of the shot. So, When Ivy came into the league, there were real question marks about his shot, both off the catch and off the dribble and even at the free throw line. And to me, particularly in the second half of the season, he really answered those questions. So pre-All-Star break, Ivy... Shot 33% from deep on 4.2 attempts per game, and he was shooting 72% on five attempts per game from the free throw line, with an overall field goal percentage of 42%. So they are your classic inefficient rookie numbers, you know, someone that's coming into the league, experiencing growing pains, and for a lot of the time. Ivy was soaking up a lot of usage. Towards the end of the season, he was up towards the 28-29% mark, which is real number one option territory. So much like Cade, had a real baptism of fire in this first year in the league. But what we saw particularly in the last 15 games was real shooting progression from Ivy. He scored 20.7 points per game on 17 field goal attempts, which is massive. But he was taking seven threes per game and knocking down 38% of them. That was a mix of catch and shoot and pull up threes. So What we saw was a real versatility in his jumper that wasn't necessarily expected coming out of college. And that shooting improvement was even indicated in his free throw line numbers where he jumped up to 82.5 percent, which is a whole 10 percent jump from pre All-Star. So Ivy shooting has developed. And also what we saw was a development in his driving game. When he came into the league, there was a little bit of a worry that he always went left, kind of a la Zion Williamson, but he's happy to cross over both right and left now and finish with either hand. That's really coming along. And what's really good to see is the skill development in the first season, despite the slog of 82 games and having to carry a massive offensive load Ivy was still putting in the work to develop his skills and we can see that in both his shooting and his finishing. And what really jumps off the page to me when watching tape is the chemistry that Ivy developed, particularly with his bigs and particularly with Jalen Durant. So, like we said, I think Cunningham is really going to benefit from having that classic athletic rim runner. But Ivy already has. He was able to throw a variety of passes to Jalen Duran. He threw those lobs that we've spoken about where it's sort of a disguise floater and then you lob it up above the square. And Duran is so athletic that he's going to be the only guy that can go up there and throw it down. But he was also really talented at slipping in dump-off passes as he drove to the rim, finding him on bounce passes where he gets his own defender in the air. And they even had some chemistry when Duran had the ball in his hands. Uh, Ivy's got a real feel for cutting and Detroit mainly due to the fact that they had both Bagley and Wiseman on the roster. They utilized Duran a little bit higher up the court, sort of at the key at the elbow where we see Sabonis and Bam Adebayo and Nikola Jokic operate. They were giving Jalen Duran some reps there. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but they had some really nice high low actions going and Even if you're taking away the sort of conventional pick and roll to the big man passes, Ivy was confident spraying it around the floor. His turnovers were really high. It was at around 4.2 post All-Star break, which is probably leading the league or somewhere close to it. But I was just impressed to see the creativity in his passes, the willingness to try really, really tough skip passes all the way across the court, have some disguise on them. Nothing looked predetermined it was real read and react stuff kind of like Cunningham he doesn't have that same vision but I'm confident that Ivy can be a really strong pick and roll attacker and what I'm way more excited about is him playing off Cade as a secondary threat a guy to attack a defense on a closeout with that athleticism with the float again that he's got with the ability to get to the rim and the development in his pull up shooting, I think Ivy's gonna be a really, really tough guard in his second year in the league. So for me, he's gonna be a really good backcourt partner to Cade. And don't forget, one of the comparisons he earned coming out of college were to Ja Morant, who is six foot one, six foot two, a real beam pole that can't really stand up defensively. You know, Morant tries Ivy's six foot four and he's got quite a robust frame. And I think that as the years go on working under Monty Williams and being surrounded by more defensive talent that we'll come on to a little bit later, I think that Ivy's is going to be able to stand up on the perimeter and at least hold up in a similar way to how we saw Jamal Murray hold up in this year's playoffs. Yeah, Jamal is another big guard with a big body and while he was targeted in mismatches I think it got really rough in that Lakers series where LeBron clearly chose him as a guy that he was just going to go after every pick and roll. Murray was able to hold his own and with that same frame and athleticism that Ivy has I think that should transpose into being a good defender in his NBA career. So what they've got is a backcourt without weaknesses if Ivy can continue to shoot at around 36 to 38 percent mark particularly off the dribble as well as in catch and shoot situations and Cunningham benefits from having more than one offensive threat and the rim runner I think that they're going to have perfectly decent shooting in the backcourt it's hardly going to be Splash Brothers mark II, but it's not going to be a weakness Uh, but they're going to have two guys that can play make two guys with a tight handle two guys that can create their own shot and two guys that hold up defensively so what are you going to go after if you're coming up against the Pistons in a competitive game? Is it going to be their guy at the three? I don't think so, because long term, that's going to be their number five pick in the 2023 draft, Alsao Thompson. Now, much like most of you, I didn't spend a lot of last year watching Overtime Elite. So I'm not going to pretend to be a complete expert on Sar's game. But as I've said before in a couple of these podcasts, I'm a big fan of draft coverage. I listen to Zambasini a lot. Over the course of the year, I read up, I look at draft Twitter. So while the opinions aren't necessarily my own, I can relay what some other guys have said that I trust. And you can go and check them out as well. You can make your own conclusions. And we'll see Alsara and the summer league coming up and we'll see him make his debut for the Pistons. Finally away from his twin brother as well, which should be really interesting to see. Because they have built up a real chemistry playing for the overtime elite. But from what I've heard, Alsar is going to be a really interesting addition to the Pistons. As we've said at the top and throughout this segment, the Pistons needed shooting. And the one question mark about either of the Thompson Twins is their shot. There have been claims that particularly Armin's shot looks broken. It's a real jaggedy release. It doesn't look fluid. He doesn't quite square up with the basket perfectly. But... Alsar made some real strides last year and you can actually see it in the footage and the clips that they've published that he's worked on his shooting form and it might look a little bit robotic now but he turned himself into quite a reliable at least corner three-point shooter and he's not a guy that's afraid to pull up from the mid-range or from three either and from what I've heard about these kids particularly Alsar is they are just workaholics they're in the gym first they're out of the gym last it's Players that are just going to work on their game tirelessly, and you can really see that in how size shot improved throughout the course of the year. He got to a stage in his last 15 overtime elite games where he's shooting 36% from three. That was on limited sample size, he wasn't asked to do a lot. And you've got to factor in the competition isn't quite college or Euro League or G League because they're playing against players that are younger than them, but mechanically, it looks like the Thompson shot could be fixed and when you forget about the shooting concerns Alsa Thompson is an amazing prospect this is a top 30 athlete coming into the NBA six foot seven so fast down the court able to get up and catch lobs on the break a fantastic cutter from either of the corners a really good rim roller for a guy that sort of has a bit of a guard frame he's a jumbo guard at six foot seven and some of the comparisons that he's earned coming out of the draft are to Andre Iguodala and as we know Iggy is clutch in winning time in championship situations I don't know if we can say that about al yet but that is a player that contributes to winning Alsaf filled up the stat sheet playing for overtime elite. He averaged 17 points per game, seven assists, six rebounds, and he was really efficient, particularly when it came to finishing at the rim. Like we said, he's explosive, not quite like Amen, who kind of moves like no one that you've seen before in the league. He Kind of looks like the progression, I don't know if you guys played the PS2, but when you went from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3, you went from being able to move in eight directions with your joystick, sort of north, south, east, west, with northwest, northeast, you know, you get the picture, eight directions to full 360 movement. Amen is the personification of that. He looks so wiggly, so bouncy. He can get where he wants on the court, even if he's not being guarded out at the three-point line. And while Alsar isn't quite that, he's a really explosive athlete. And I think he's going to complement Cade and Ivy, two slightly more ball-dominant players, really well, particularly if that shot comes along. Alsar should be a fantastic defender in the NBA. Like we've said, he's ultra quick. He's dedicated to learning the game, developing his skills and he's got that six foot seven frame. He should be switchable one through three, one through four. I can see him playing the passing lanes, getting his team out in transition and he's one of these guys that's got real connective passing feel and he had a lot of pick and roll reads last year in the overtime elite and Much like we said with Ivy, if either Cade or Jaden is creating advantages for Elsa, he's the kind of guy that's going to be able to read a defense and react on the closeout, either scoring for himself or finding a better shot for one of his teammates, whether that be a corner three-point shooter or the rim runner that we're going to talk about later in Jalen Durant. So if I'm a Detroit fan, I'm really excited because I can see... Our three staple guys, the three guys that are going to be handling the ball most on the perimeter, Cade, Jaden, and Al as aside from shooting, really having no weaknesses in their game. Like we said, they're all going to be able to play make and defensively they're all going to hold up as well. And I think they're switchable one through three. Cade is a really good defender. You can ask him to guard some of the premier perimeter talents in the league he matched up really well with Luka with SGA with Steph during his rookie year and he's got really fast hands he's not quite Nikola Jokic in terms of his hand eye coordination but this is a guy that just watches the ball and he knows where to stick his hand in order to get a deflection or lock a guy up and I think Al Saar could perhaps really live up to that Andre Iguodala comparison and I really hope he does because if so What we're going to see is a Pistons reincarnate of that 2003-2004 championship team. I don't know what Cade's ceiling is because he doesn't quite have that burst. Maybe he's a top 10 player in the league. Maybe he's a top 20. But what I'm betting on is that he's going to be surrounded by high character guys that work on their game. And they're going to have such a well-rounded team that you're not really going to have anywhere to attack in the playoffs, particularly defensively. So they're going to be a really tough out once they've all developed together, particularly under Monty Williams. So, Sar is their three and there's a little bit of a hole at four at the moment I expect Bojan Bogdanovic to come in at the four and just shoot the lights out for another season until his contract expires he's going to provide some of that much needed spacing and if it's not Bojan it's going to be Isaiah Stewart who is apparently still in talks for an extension they love the sort of semi four and a half, five man that's really worked on his corner three shot over the years. He crashes the boards. He's an intelligent player and he's switchable again. He's one of these switchable bigs, but I'm really excited about their five man. He was the youngest player in the NBA last year and that's Jalen Duran. So forgive me, just before we get into this segment, I'm probably going to flip-flop between Duran and Duran. I can't decide how I'm going to pronounce it. You guys can tell me in the comments below, but I really like Jalen's game. And he's another player that as the year went on, he really, really progressed. And he actually had better plus minus numbers than pretty much everyone on the Pistons. So Duran, like we've described him already, is a super athletic rim runner. He's a guy with a massive vertical. He can dunk from a standing start. He can catch stuff thrown up around the square. And he's competent at getting the ball in dump off situations where he's rolling to the rim and he can get by his defender and again throw it down on him so as a rim runner check he's really good at that I'm not quite sure about him as a screener just quite yet if you've seen photos of Jalen, you're not going to believe that he was 19 last year. He's got sort of that David Robinson build where he looks more like a Greek god than a human, let alone still a teenager. But he's still a little bit thin. Uh, I don't think he quite mastered the screening, but he built up some nice chemistry with Jaden Ivey last year in screening situations where Jaden was able to get to his pull-up three quite well on open three-point shoot shots because Duran was able to scream for him. So that's something that's going to progress and he's going to be able to form relationships with Cade this year and Elsa. But the swing skills for Jalen Duran, I think even if he just stays at this level and he's a rim runner and he fills out a little bit, He's a starting level big man in this league but the swing skills are going to be his rim protection which we didn't quite see last year. He's still learning the coverages. He's he's quite raw. One of the reasons why he slipped during his draft year in Memphis is because he was quite raw and didn't necessarily get too much PT. In college ball all we know is that they're really really reliant on the fundamentals. If you're not getting the schemes you're not going to get all that playing time. So I, I don't know. I think that we've got to see defensively his room protection develop a bit. He's certainly got the frame and the mobility to be one of those guys, but I quite like him as a switchable five. Not necessarily like your Bam Adebayo types, but he's shown the ability to move his feet. He's quite mobile. He can switch from direction to direction. I think he's going to be one of these guys that if he's out on an island, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Kind of similar to a DeAndre Ayton. And I don't want to compare the two big men too much because one of the main differences between Ayton and Duren is just the ferocity with which they finish around the rim. Duren dunks everything around the rim. If he can, he's going to catch bodies. He doesn't really care. Whereas all we know is Ayton's kind of that fade away, little finger roll kind of guy that's Kind of kidding himself. He wants to be a finesse guy, but with that frame, he's another one that would just be so much better if he was ferocious around the rim. So Duran is potentially a switchable defender. And what we saw last year, mainly through necessity, really, was that Jalen has passing chops. He was utilised at the elbow, at the top of the key, in high-low situations, where he was able to pick out cutters. He found James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley for post-up situations when they went to double big lineups. He found Jaden Ivey, as we've mentioned, as uh, a cutting guy off the ball. And I think that if he develops that at his size, he's going to be a player that we haven't necessarily seen in the NBA. These handoff guys, these you know Sabonis, Uh, Nikola Jokic, Bam Adebayo, even if we go down to lower levels like a Mason Plumlee, there's often deficiencies in their game. So defensively for Sabonis and Jokic, there are issues, but they make up for that on the offensive end. I'm really generalising here. We get into how they are defensively. Bam isn't necessarily the most punishing player. He doesn't quite play above the rim when he's in a half-court setting. He can get up there for lobs, but he's not best rim runner in the league and mason plumley where do we start on his deficiencies but i think that if duran rounds out his game and forms a chemistry with this young core that detroit have and really embraces playing in a monty williams scheme which is really based around getting that rim runner towards the rim getting him with some rim rolling gravity and really utilizing him in alley-oop situations in the pick and roll to open up space in the mid-range for the guards the perimeter players we can see a really really complete center in Detroit and one that's got kind of untapped potential at 19 he showed himself to be at least a league ready big man he he made some mistakes he wasn't Perfect in defensive coverages, and like we said, the rim protection wasn't quite there. But he's got the body, he's got some passing feel, he's quite switchable, and he's a good rim runner. And during his time in Memphis, what we even saw was this potential for a little fall away game. He had a mid range shot, there wasn't much shot creation at Memphis, that's where he went to college, by the way. Uh, so sometimes he got to indulge in this little mid range post up game and, and I quite like that from him. The shot is quite sweet. Um it's not quite reflected in his free throw percentage. He sat at around the the sort of high sixties this year, which which isn't ideal. You want every player on your team to be shooting plus seventy five percent. So we'll see if that can if that can come. But he's got good finishing now around the league even when he can't dunk everything I think watching some of his highlights he he had a career high 30 against the Spurs and you saw him really give Zach Collins a really hard time someone I actually picked as breakout guy in a previous episode of the drop step Um, he's happy finishing with his left hand with his right he can go to a little up and under he's developing a spin move so Duran is going to be one of the biggest swing players on this team because if he doesn't quite hit, I don't see who their big man is going to be. Like we said, they're probably going to be a lottery team in this year's draft and maybe even next year's draft as well. I don't think it's going to be a quick rebuild given that Cade is going to be integrating back into the system. They don't have a ton of spacing and Monty is going to be implementing entirely new sets and coverages on both the offensive and defensive ends. So maybe they could pick up another centre there. But if Duran does hit... He's just going to contribute to, to what we've been talking about earlier with the three perimeter guys. And this is where I'm going to go away from talking about the young players. I, I kind of wanted to mention Marcus Sasser as well, who spent three to four years in college playing for Houston, NBA ready guard, can space from three, can run the pick and roll, really solid defensively. He's not going to set the world alight, but. I I thought he was actually quite similar to Monte Morris in the way that he was described. Maybe not quite as low turnover, but you're getting that back on the defensive end. Um, But getting away from that young court, something that I found really interesting in Detroit's rebuild is how, as the league has zigged over the last 10 years towards, let's have one primary creator, maybe two at max, two offensive threats, and then surround them with spacing and a rim runner. I think that Detroit is actually going the other way. They're they're pushing it and they're pushing it on both ends of the court. So one of the highest sort of actualized versions of this was that Houston twenty eighteen team that didn't quite beat the Warriors. They were up three two. Chris Paul gets injured in Game Six, and that chance to beat the peak KD Curry uh, Clay Draymond Warriors it it faded, but. They had two perimeter guys in Chris Paul and James Harden. And they handled the ball on literally every possession. They had spacers in Trevor Ariza and Robert Covington. They had a rim roller in Clint Capella. They had Eric Gordon. It was basically, you two are going to make all the decisions for this team. We're going to live and die by your ability to read the game. Your ability to shoot, create an isolation. And these guys are just going to feed off the advantages that you're going to create. But... What I like in Detroit is they've moved away from that. I think that by taking three guys that can potentially initiate on the perimeter, they're really swinging for the fences in terms of the high outcome of this team. If all three of those guys can shoot, I think we've seen that Jaden is at least going to be a competent shooter in the league, given that he got up to 36% for the year uh, from three-point range. He got up to 82% post-All-Star from the free-throw line. And Cade is also a good free-throw shooter. It's going to come down to El What they might have in a couple of years is three guys that can create advantages for themselves on the perimeter. And then... The other two are going to be spaced to either hit catch and shoot shots or play this sort of Utah Jazz style, OKC style. Right. We've created one advantage. We're going to create an even better advantage by driving in again and attacking the closeout and potentially finishing, potentially kicking out again, potentially finding out our center for a lob or, you know, for a for a dunk i am really excited to see if this experiment works in detroit because with the amount of talent that we have in the league i think we're going to be moving away from the more traditional uh team building settings and that's something that i want to explore in my draft series over the summer as well but detroit and okc in particular could be the two teams over the next few years that have three guys that are capable of being primary initiators i if else hits that ceiling definitely but the unique thing about Detroit is that they're not giving anything up on the defensive end of the floor either like we said Caden Elsa have really really high Uh, high-end outcomes if they pan out defensively. Jaden should, in theory, at least be an average to above-average defender, given his frame, given his agility. Duran, if he develops, could be a switchable five-man with some rim protection. Uh, He's he's already got a great highlight reel of chase-down blocks. It's just about learning that drop coverage, where to position yourself, how to cover off those angles. But I think they're going to be really interesting. They're going to be a team that has... Uh, six foot six point guard, a six four shooting guard, a six seven small forward. We don't know at the four and then this six eleven monster at the five that is capable of switching. So I really want to see what that looks like long term on the defensive end. Is it worth sacrificing that conventional team building strategy where it's you get your one or two guys and you surround them with shooting and you surround them with role players to really swing for the fences and push for talent push for on ball IQ which all three of those primary initiators have shown as well as Duran who has shown some high low passing ability I I hope that that works out because if If that is the case, then we're going to get to a position in this league where even with expansion, you're seeing far more ball movement. You're seeing more transition. You're not seeing ridiculous usage like Trey Young, like James Harden, like Russell Westbrook. Instead, you're seeing sort of egalitarian offenses with three star guys that can initiate and create advantages, all playing off each other, all feeding off each other. And perhaps that's the next evolution that the NBA is heading towards We're moving away from the heliocentric nature that has sort of engulfed the league over the last 10 years and moving towards just having so much talent that you need to get creative and think outside the box as I think Detroit have. And I think they've been miscredited really as just picking, we're going for high character guys, we're going for guys that can hold up defensively, we're going for long athletes. I think it's a little bit more considered than that because if this all breaks right for them, They could have such a versatile team on both ends of the floor, one that's really hard to scheme for both offensively and defensively in the playoffs. And given that they're not building around a top five guy, I think that's a really worthwhile approach to take. Try and get as much talent as possible. Try and get them to grow together under your long term head coach and see what happens. So... That's really it for the podcast. I'm excited to see what happens in Detroit this season. I don't think it's going to be pretty standings-wise, but I think we could see some really exciting basketball. I expect to see them getting out in transition. I want to see what the usage is like. I'd be a little bit worried if Al Alsara isn't getting on ball reps, if... Jaden Ivey isn't necessarily having a lot of usage and he's relegated to being sort of that second guy and we see them go full Cade heliocentric mode I I don't want to see that I don't think that's the high-end outcome for this team so let me know what you think are you high on the Detroit Pistons rebuild I am I think that they could crash and burn but I think that if it all works out we could see a really exciting team and the kind of team that we haven't necessarily seen before in the NBA Thanks for listening to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed. Uh, I'm going to be back next week with another episode of First in Class. If you like this episode, drop a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast grow. Share with your friends. Listen to our other episodes and, uh, you know, follow the podcast. Subscribe so you see it. I'm trying to upload weekly. I've been decent at doing that so far. And hopefully that continues over the next couple of months. Thanks for listening. I've been Jack Quantrill. Goodbye.